backstage and listening to the words of that song, it, it hasn't washed its power for me. And sometimes I'll just come to the gospel, come, come back to come to church, I mean, read this book and read these words. And it's lost its power. It's lost its importance. It's lost its significance in our lives. So I just want to start this morning in a word of prayer, if you would. Father God, thank you for your word how it's sharper than any double-edged sword, how it penetrates our soul, God. Bring us to the text this morning in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that, that speaks life and, and re-energizes our soul. God, we love you, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, my name's Will. I'm on staff here at MCC, and I'm just so glad you guys are here to worship with us this morning. If you're here in person, we're glad that you're here. There's just something, I think, energizing about gathering the church together in one place. If you're joining us online, um, thank you for taking time out wherever you are in your living room or at the beach. Why don't you just chime on uh, to the chat there and let us know where you're watching from. But we are so glad that you are here. And whether you're online or in person, if you're new... Now, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you'd like to get more plugged in, or you'd like to get more involved, either in person or online, um, we'd like to just encourage you to text the word WELCOME to 804-404-9430. It should be on the screen, um, or on the, on the screen that you're watching this from. Um, but this is our new digital connect card, and we'd just like to get in, uh, in touch with you, um, answer any questions, and to engage. Um, if you'd like to take another step, we would, we would love for you to do that. Um, let me ask you a question this morning as we get started. How many of you have done something foolish in your lifetime? All right, I'm seeing most hands come up. There's a couple liars out there, and that's okay. We'll get to that later. That's okay. Um, I was thinking about wisdom and foolishness, because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and as I thought about foolishness in my life, I saw a, a pattern emerge. I saw a series in how foolishness has changed over time. You see, when I was a little kid, it was foolishness based in ignorance. I just didn't know better. Well, we put those plastic pieces in outlets to prevent kids from putting their fingers in there because they just don't know any better. Uh, when I was a kid, we lived maybe a tenth of a mile from a gas station just up the road. And so occasionally, my parents would send me up the road to get something from the gas station. I was seven, eight years old, pretty, pretty young. And I would get whatever they needed and come back, and it wasn't too uncommon. And so one day, my dad sends me with a few dollars to get a two-liter for dinner. So I go and I pick out the two-liter that I think my sister and I will agree on. That rarely happens, but I pick one out. And I turn around to go check out, and that's when I see it. It was a horse. A little play horse that had a felt-like feel to it. And I was like, you know what? I think I have enough money for both of these things. So I pick up the horse and I check out and I was just so excited. I thought I had done well, had budgeted my money, I got what mom told me to, what dad told me to, and I still had more money left over, so I got home and I showed it to him. And my dad marched me right back up there and that guy at 7-Eleven learned how to do a return that day. <laughs> He's like, this is not what we do. I just didn't know any better. It was a learning opportunity, but then we grow up and we start to know a little bit better. Middle school, high school, bit of college, maybe just as a young adult, the foolishness that we start to do is a foolishness in an attempt to be accepted, right? 
there's a person that we want to be friends with, or there's a group of people that we want to be associated with, or, or maybe there's a guy or a girl that we want to impress. How many of you uh, have done something really foolish to impress a significant other, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband, wife? There's a couple people willing to, to admit to that. Awesome. I um, Fortunately, it didn't end too terribly poorly, but uh, when I was in college, I was dating this girl who lived about two hours away. And during our relationship, she got accepted into grad school into Florida. And I don't, a uh, grad school in Florida. And I don't know how many of you guys have done a long distance relationship, uh, but I was in Tennessee. She was in Florida. I don't recommend it. It was terrible. I hated every moment of it. Well, her spring break was before my spring break, and I was anxious to see her. It had been a couple months. And so she got in on like a Wednesday or Thursday night, sometime during the week when I had class the next morning. And I thought it would be an awesome idea to drive the two hours down to see her and then just drive back. I think it would have been an okay idea, except that she didn't get in until 1 o'clock in the morning. So I left school, parked at the end of her parents' driveway, and waited for her to come. That's not creepy at all, is it? Well, she was delayed a little bit and didn't get in until about 2 o'clock that morning. I gave her a hug, said hello, and then literally drove back two hours to school and got in about 4 or 4.30 that morning. Well, the other part of this is that I went to a Bible college. And at Bible college, we have a curfew. And I know there's a lot of opinions about curfews out there, but I signed up to go to the school. That's what the rule is. I only have so much space to, to complain about that, right? So I knew that if I went back to my dorm room, I'd be in a little bit of trouble. So there was a church right at the top of the entrance to my Bible college that I pulled into the parking lot, reclined my seat back, got a couple hours of sleep until after 6 o'clock when it was okay for me to come back. And then I came back to campus and went back to bed a second time. Fortunately, I didn't fall asleep as I was driving. It could have been worse, but thankfully it wasn't too bad. But we do foolish things to be accepted, to impress people. There's this season of life that we, we want to be accepted by somebody or a group of people. And then we grow up and our foolishness starts to look a little bit more like wisdom. Or, I guess, an attempt at wisdom. We've all been there, right? We're buying a car, we're buying a house, and we do all the homework, and we have all the inspections, and we, we do due diligence in trying to be smart, trying to make a wise decision, and then it ends up being a money pit. There's one repair after another after another, and, and soon enough, this what we thought to be a wise decision ended up to be foolishness. And not intentionally, we didn't do it on purpose, we tried to be smart about it, but inevitably there's that decision that we made that didn't quite turn out as great as we hoped it would be. And we look back on it and we see that it was just foolishness. This morning we're in the book of James again, James chapter 3, and we've been in the book of James for a few weeks now. What we've seen is that James, as a half-brother of Jesus, had this unique view of faith and of Jesus and saw him from a unique perspective. And as I thought about my time growing up and foolish decisions I made, as I came to the text, I couldn't help but think what it would have been like for James to grow up with a brother of Jesus. I mean, think about, you guys are bickering with your siblings, and, and mom and dad comes in, and is like, Jesus started it. Yeah, okay. You push each other. Jesus started it. Yeah, I don't think that happened. 
Jesus is looking at me funny. He's poking me. No, I don't think that happens. How annoying would that have been to have Jesus as your brother? Goodness gracious. But as James grows up, he sees how much wisdom his brother had, how he was right, he is truth, he is life, and he came to believe. And then he writes this letter to Christians during a time of the dispersion, during a time where it wasn't popular to be a Christian, during a time where it was difficult to be a Christian, a time where you could even be persecuted because of your faith. And, and we know based on earlier sections in this book how much James likes practical information and, and, and how you know, he says that work is justified, or faith is just, justified by our actions and, and he's all about our works. He's all about deeds. He's all about what we do in life. And so you would think that as we get to this section here in James chapter 3 about wisdom during a time where the church is persecuted, that he would have great things to say about how to gather without the authorities finding you. Or how to pray when it seems like your life might be ending. Or how to pray for brothers and sisters who, who are experiencing persecution. You would think that his wisdom is practical about what to do when it's tough to be a Christian in the world you live in. But that's, that's not what he does. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. So just like everything else, he doesn't get into particulars here, but again reflects that your deeds, your actions reflect your wisdom. And, and there's really only two different types of wisdom to choose from here. We have wisdom, as he describes, as wisdom from above and wisdom that's not from above. And he describes that kind of wisdom first. He says in 14 and 15, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have this jealousy, this selfish ambition, don't brag about it. It's not worth bragging about. Don't be false to the truth. Don't lie about it. Own it. That's, that's what's in your heart. But this is not the way, the wisdom that comes down from above. But it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are strong words to describe this kind of wisdom that's has bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, that it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And he, and he leaves it at that. He doesn't go into great detail. Because at the end of the day, there's a million different ways to be a fool, right? There's a million different ways to do something incorrectly. There's a million different ways to do something wrong. There's only one or two ways to do something right. And so that's what he spends the bulk of his time on. That's what we're going to spend bulk of our time on this morning in James chapter 3, he describes this wisdom that's not from below, it's from above, and he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is the wisdom from above. This is godly wisdom. And we're going to take some time this morning and just run through these because I think so often in Scripture when we come to the text and we see a list of things like this, we're tempted to just go, uh-huh, okay, yep, 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 got it, and we move on. And we don't take the time to really dive into what these mean. And James says, first of all, above all else, wisdom from above is pure. And when we think about pure, we often think about purity and we think about it in the context of sexuality and immorality, but that is only the tip of the iceberg. When James talks about purity, when scripture talks about purity, it's more about the heart, it's more about your attitude, it's about your mentality. 
So when you are showing wisdom from above, it's not just a surface level, but it penetrates to your heart, to your soul. Are you being wise just because you feel like that's what you have to do, because this is what you think is expected, but in your heart you don't want to do it? Or is it in the very core, your nature is what you feel is best, what your heart is set on? God is described as a holy God, as a pure God. So when we're wise, is there still hatred or resentment in our hearts? When we're wise, is there discontentment in our hearts? And when we are wise, is it pure wisdom or is it just surface level wisdom? And that covers a lot and we could talk so much more about the purity there in wisdom. But that's just the starting point for James. He goes on to say that it's first pure and then peaceable. It's peaceable. And this, this thinking about the context and writing to Christians who are under persecution and, and who are dispersed, who are mocked, who are ridiculed, who are spit upon, like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. But James grew up with a brother named Jesus, and he remembered the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 9 said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, Paul talks about uh, peace in Romans chapter 12. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think we too often forget about the degree to which we are responsible to living at peace with other people. To the degree to which Jesus expects that we live at peace with other people. Uh, when I was in grad school, I had a counseling class. And we would get our butts chewed out. If we ever said, how did that make you feel? Never. Nothing anybody says, nothing anybody does makes you feel anything. You feel, and it was a, totally appropriate to ask, how do you feel? How did you feel when? But you take ownership of it. It's your emotions, and it's fine that you feel that way, but when you can take ownership of your emotions and you're on a, in a better place, to control your emotions next time someone says X or does Y to you. Because they're yours. And in the same way, to live peaceably with all as far as it depends on you. I've had too many conversations with Christians who say, until someone crosses this line, until someone does X or does Y, then they're asking for it. Why are you letting someone else control how you interact with them? God has called us to live at peace with others as far as it depends on us. And the example that we have from Christ is people were spitting in his face and he did nothing. He did nothing. He, he prayed for them. He prayed for forgiveness for them. He, he didn't retaliate. He lived at peace with others. And in fact, in that scenario, I think, is a great example when we get to the other one. Uh, James says, first it's pure, it's peace, but it's also wisdom from above is gentle. And that's what we see in Jesus, right? Throughout his ministry, having the strength, having the power to literally do anything, but not. But controlling his strength, controlling his emotions what he says, what he does. And he's gentle. 
is one that I've always struggled with. I always seem to be a little bit too strong. I've broken too many things I'd like to admit in my lifetime. And I remember growing up in youth group, we'd be uh, goofing off and I'd accidentally hurt somebody just because I didn't know the extent of my strength. Gentleness isn't weakness. It's knowing what you're capable of. It's knowing how strong you are and being able to control it, being able to rein it back in. And that's an important part of wisdom. James says that wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. Open to reason. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you actually think you know everything? Yeah? couple smart alecks want to raise their hand, maybe, yeah? No! None of us know everything. I would even go as far to say none of us know everything about any specific topic, and yet I get on Facebook and social media, and I think we're all experts. We're experts about politics, about health concerns. We know everything. And we're not open to reason. Open to reason simply means that we recognize our humanity, that, that I even recognize that, that I can know this book, and I know this book is truth, but I know that I don't even understand everything in this book. And so I'm willing to sit down, I'm willing to engage in conversations, I'm willing to hear what other people have to say and what other people have to think. And if it's full of reason, if it makes sense, if it doesn't contradict other parts of Scripture, or it doesn't contradict other facts that we know to be true in this world, then maybe, maybe I was wrong about something. Maybe I can shift my beliefs and my, my thoughts about politics, health, Scripture. I, I can shift slightly because I might not have it all figured out. It's always fascinating to me how many of us will admit that we don't know everything and yet it seems like we're unwilling to bend on anything. But wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. It's also full of mercy and good fruits. I hope that it makes sense that, that wisdom from above is merciful, it's kind, it's compassionate. Sometimes we like to justify it as as um, uh, loving kind, a uh, harsh love, right? Wisdom through uh, through tough love, and that's okay. And maybe it has its place. But at the end of the day, it's wisdom from above that is merciful, that's kindness, it's full of compassion. And inevitably, if that wisdom, tough love, full of mercy, if it is truly from above then it will produce good fruit. It will produce good results. And that's one that we can try our best to be wise. We can try our best to have this wisdom from above. But at the end of the day, if three years down the road, we look back and say, you know what, that decision that I thought I made in godly wisdom led to this not so great outcome. The fruit was bad. Then that decision was bad. Wisdom from above will have good fruits. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, and finally, it's impartial and sincere. 
Uh, back earlier in James chapter 2, he talked about partiality. He talked about showing favoritism and how we're so good in the church at doing that. That we're so good in the church of showing favoritism to some people over others. And he brings it up here again as a mark of wisdom from above. Clearly, it's important that we don't show favoritism. Clearly, it's important that we're sincere. And this is where I think that James loops it back to the beginning, back to this idea of pure. That it's sincere, that it's every bone in our being, that in our heart of hearts, that we don't say, you know what, I know this is the right thing to do. I just don't feel this way right now. That wisdom from above, true wisdom from above is sincere in our motives, in our mentality, and in everything we do and say. And so I ask you the question, as you hear these things and think through different instances in your life, do you have wisdom from above or, worth, or wisdom that is unspiritual? And there may become a point that, that maybe that's a stepping stone, that, that you realize that maybe there's some areas in your life that, that haven't been pure and peaceable and gentle and, and open to reason and, and full of mercy and having good fruits and, and, and sincere, and, and that you, you realize that there are some changes that need to be made. And so maybe it's not sincere at first, maybe it's not completely pure at first, but it's a step in the right direction. Because we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to get it perfect. But it's important that we step in the right direction. That we move away from the unspiritual, demonic wisdom of this world and move closer to the wisdom that comes from above. The godly wisdom that Jesus ex exemplified for us so well. Because at the end of the day, they're radically different. And the wisdom that's unspiritual, that's demonic, it, it has an appeal because the wisdom that's unspiritual, that's demonic, it can lead to a very comfortable life. The wisdom from this world can lead to some very good things. It leads to financial security, a good 401k and Roth IRA. It leads to, to good home and a good car and the white picket fence and barbecue in the backyard with the neighbors and, and a good spouse and 2.3 kids and it leads to what many deem the American dream. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For wisdom of this world is folly with God. The wisdom in this world that you learn from any business school or anything that makes sense in this world is not godly wisdom. It's not wisdom from above. Wisdom from above leads to generosity. And in, the, uh, in, in our earthly economy, that doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense to just work so hard to, to accumulate money and then just give it away. But... In God's economy, that's what he expects. That's what he honors. That's what he rewards, right? That's what he asks of us, to be generous to the point that it hurts. To the point that we have to learn dependence on God because we are so generous with our resources and our finances and everything we have. And it doesn't make sense in the world. And God's economy tells us to, to not buy the latest and greatest because 
what we spend then could be used for other things. That it's not about earthly possessions. It's not about earthly possessions because one day everything that we own is going to end in rubble. It'll be worthless. It'll be meaningless. And that doesn't make sense in the world's economy of being God. It does. Because for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, who have become a Christian, we know that there is more than awaits us in anything in this world. There is more than awaits us in anything that we could achieve in this world. If you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus yet, I know this might not make a lot of sense, and you might be thinking that we're all crazy. Because what I described earlier for earthly wisdom, like that's, that's what you grew up believing in and pursuing. But I'm telling you that it's all meaningless and it's all worthless. That one day it will count for nothing. And so Jesus tells us to store up treasure in heaven where it doesn't fade away. It doesn't rust. It doesn't get destroyed. We don't have a a new upgrade every year. Where our investments last far beyond this lifetime. Far beyond anything we can imagine. So as the band comes up, they're going to play for a little bit. And what I'd like to ask you to do, if you're a believer, I hope that you picked up communion on the way in, and we're just going to have a time of reflection that I'd like to ask you to reflect over what kind of conversations, what kind of wisdom you've had over the last couple weeks. What I'd really like to ask you to do also is over the next day or two, Sit down yourself or sit down with, with your spouse or a trusted friend or somebody that you trust incredibly closely. And go back over text messages, over what you post on social media, your comments on social media, your emails, and read what you've written. And ask yourself, is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Is it full of mercy? Does it have good fruits? Do good things come of it? Is it impartial and sincere? And I just want to ask you to really reflect and look at the words that you say, the conversations you have, and the words you write, and ask yourself, do I have wisdom from above? Or have I been flirting a little too closely with this demonic wisdom from below? If you haven't entered into a relationship with Christ yet, just during this time, would you just think about what you've heard? Think about what you've heard this morning and about what you're pursuing in your life. Think about where it leads, about best case scenario, and is it worth it? After this time of communion, of reflection, we're going to uh, stand and we're going to sing together. And during that time, if you'd like to talk or if you want to pray, I'm just going to be down here at the bottom of the steps and would love to pray, love to talk. Let's pray as we begin this time together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, for your mercy, for your example that you gave us to, to walk in wisdom walk in this wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and and open to reason and impartial and sincere and full of mercy and ultimately leads to good things. 
God, I pray that in this moment as we reflect, in this moment as we say thank you for all that you've done for us, God, bring to mind ways that we can do better because we don't always get it right. Sometimes we act incredibly foolish and we don't know everything. So God, bring it to mind how we can do better. It's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.